Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, how do I invest in some specific companies? Can I help my employees select their investments in their 401k? Is offering a 401k really that important in a group benefit? What makes a great 401k? Plus, an interview with Dr. Devin Harris. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. All right. Uh, here for another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. It's the end of July, almost school season for, for those with kiddos. And a lot to think about with this coming school year. So good luck to all those parents out there figuring out what to do. All right, y'all. I have a, a guest today calling in from Austin, Texas, the new Silicon Valley of Texas, Dr. Devin Harris. Thanks for coming on, Dr. Harris. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Are Are you from Austin originally? Yeah, born. Yeah, born and raised. Like like Austin proper. Yeah, I went to school in Pflugerville though, but my all my family's in Austin, so oh, okay. You know, Austin, Austin's home, man. When When did you graduate high school? Uh, two thousand nine. Okay, so you were late. Yeah, I, I I used to I went to UTSA and I used to hang with the Pflugerville clique, what we called them. Cause we know oh, yeah. they, 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 I was, I was like, man, all y'all from Pflugerville? They all, they all was, was, uh, at that time they were still rapping or trying to rap. They were trying to be the, the Swisher house of, uh, of Austin, I guess, or Pflugerville. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> about right. <laughs> <laughs> Those were my homies until I, until I pledged. I mean, they actually yeah. still was my homies afterwards, but like we used to roll with them all the time. Yeah. I thought, I thought I was rapping for a good semester or so until I realized I was not that good. I'm not gonna lie, I had my own phase as well, but it was very short lived. <laughs> is that is that the Pflugerville way? I, I guess so. <laughs> hey, who, who was it out of San Antonio? Um, it was one dude out of San Antonio that that was it Live Ola and 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 Lil Ken. You remember them? You might be too. Uh, I, I don't even that don't even ring a bell. <laughs> Man, you graduated in '09, so yeah, you was about seven years behind us. So probably not, probably not. Um, well, so so how'd you get into dentistry? Um, funny story, man. Um, I was in eighth grade and at the time they had us take a career aptitude test and, um, it said that I would either make a good engineer or a good dentist. Um, you know, at the time I wanted to be an engineer, I wanted to design cars. Um, so, you know, whenever I was coming out of high school, going into college, um, I took an intro to engineering class just to kind of see what it was about and (laughs) not going to lie, it hit me in the mouth. And, uh, (laughs) a lot of that stuff went over my head. So I was kind of reevaluating what I wanted to do. Um, and around that same time, I ended up, you know, getting my teeth cleaned and I was kind of, you know, thinking back to that aptitude test I took back in eighth grade. And I was just like, you know what, I think I want to see what this is about, you know, cause I always kind of looked at my, I've, I had the same dentist since I was like a toddler. So I always noticed, you know, she always seemed to have like a good lifestyle, you know, good, good working hours and, you know, being able to work with people all the time. So I was, I asked her, I was like, you mind if I, you know, hang out with you in the summertime, kind of see what you do. And, um, you know, so I spent you know, weeks shadowing her, just kind of seeing what she does on a day to day. And I just kind of fell in love with it. Around that time, I was actually getting ready to transfer to UTSA. Um, I used to play football at uh, a small school called Mary Harden Baylor mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, ran into some injuries. So I had to hang up the cleats. Um, so around that time, you know, I, I transferred to UTSA, 
fell in love with dentistry, and then I ended up joining a, a, an organization at UTSA called the Pre-Dental Society. And so that allowed me to meet a lot more dentists and also get in, get involved with the dental school in San Antonio. And from there, it just kind of took off, man. And, um, you know, honestly, I feel like I found my calling. Like, this is truly what, what God put me on this earth to do. Um, you know, I love it. I, you know, I don't, I don't see myself doing anything else. Nice, man. Now, it's always good to find something uh, you you are passionate about. It's, it's, and this is this is like a side note curveball. But how do you do? Yeah. You, do you think COVID is going to change dentistry? Because we'll, we'll get into you know your career now, and you you know mm-hmm. thinking about next steps for your career and entrepreneurship. But what what are your thoughts about how COVID is going to change dentistry? It's it's definitely a game changer for real. Um, you know, just the way that we have to adjust the PPE and things that we thought were universal precautions to protect against, you know, known communicable diseases. This is really going to be a game changer. And it's very similar to how, like in the eighties, um, you know, when the HIV AIDS, you know, breakout started happening, that's when dentists actually started wearing gloves, you know? So, mm. um, before that people were just barehanded in people's mouths, which I can't even wrap my mind around, you know, but, um, but, you know, COVID is definitely making us, you know, kind of reevaluate what we thought were universal precautions. Um, you know, in the game of dentistry, you know, we're exposed to big diseases all the time, you know, like TB, things like that, hepatitis. So we know it's very high risk, but when you throw a beast in there like COVID, you know, that's, you know, what we think is airborne, you know, through respiratory droplets. And when you think about what we do in dentistry, you know, spinning the handpiece creates a lot of aerosols, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, little mini, you know, clouds of, of mist, so to speak. So we have to think about not only how do we protect ourselves, like our mouths and eyes and everything like that, but we also got to think about how we, how do we protect the air, you know, cause you know, we don't really know a lot about COVID, but you know, there's a lot of literature out there saying that it can linger in the air for, you know, hours or so. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff like, you know, UV systems in the air filters, um, you know, uh, you know, high efficiency, you know, uh, evacuation units to, you know, keep the aerosols at a minimum. Um, you know, now we have to wear, you know, you know, N95 mask. And a lot of time we're wearing, you know, level three mask on top of that with a face shield and, you know, just all this extra layers of protection that we're not used to wearing. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to change much. I don't think we're ever going to get back to where we were before. Um but I think it's actually a good thing because, um, you know, just to protect against the next big thing that comes around, you know, we do need to step our game up as far as, you know, the personal protective equipment, because, you know, dentistry is a very high risk uh, profession when it comes to contracting diseases. You know, so I do think that, you know, dentistry is going to change. And, then, you know, another way that dentistry's changed is like, you know, we can't really be as productive as we were before. Like you can't just hop chair to chair to chair and see all these different patients like now with COVID. We have to sit down and finish with each patient before we get up and go to the next one so that we can reduce the, you know, the risk of transmission, you know. So there, there's a lot of ways that, that COVID has affected dentistry. Um, some of the changes are going to stick. Um, some of them might, you know, fade away a little bit. You know, right now it's just such a crazy time. I can't really even tell you, like, what solid direction dentistry is going to go into. And it's kind of it's kind of crazy, you know, because I'm, I'm two years into the profession and never thought that I would have to face anything like this in dentistry. So it's, you know, every day is a learning experience for me. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine that I, based on what you just said, because it, it might even, tell me what you think, it might even accelerate like a lot of dentists who are, who are in private practice were, were moving towards private pay. And it's probably going to accelerate that, right? Because I imagine you probably got to raise prices to cover this, you know, you still, ha- you still have fixed costs and 
insurance and all that stuff, but right. you can probably see less patients, which means you got to charge more, right? And so the insurance. Yeah, and, there, and there's some there's some offices that are you know incorporating like a what they call like a PPE fee to account for all the extra equipment that we have to wear for each appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's crazy, man. Like, so everybody's just trying to figure out how to navigate it, and you know, and you're also starting to see a shift of you know, older doctors starting to phase out and retire because, you know, they don't want to really deal with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, going back to not being able to be as productive now, you know, I feel like private practices especially are taking a hit because, you know, they don't have the financial safety net as the, you know, the corporate entities or what we call DSOs, like dental service organizations. You know, so there you're starting to see more of a shift of, you know, the corporate entities starting to be able to survive things like this more. Um, and then even just from a staff perspective, you know, not everybody's comfortable going back to work, you know, and there's a lot of people that are feeling like they're, you know, the risk is greater than the reward, you know, so, um, there's people that are refusing to go back to work and just want to, you know, continue to collect unemployment or even go into different, you know, careers. Um, so it's, it's really, it's a, it's a mess right now in dentistry, to be honest with you. No, I can, I can imagine. So, you, and so you're, you're in the middle of thinking about your next steps, right? And what, and if you want to mm-hmm. go private practice one day, kind of, you know, walk, walk us through what you're thinking through and, and and what your plans are and how you plan to minimize risk if you do take that. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, two years out of school now. So when I first got out of school, I was working at a private practice in Austin um, for about a year and a half. And then I was like, got to a point where, you know, I want to spread my wings. I want to do more. Um, so then I started splitting time at a different office on the other side of town. And, you know, there I was able to, you know, do more clinically, um, you know, as I was phasing out of my original office. And then I got to a point where I was splitting time with the private practice on the other side of town. And then I was working with another corporate office in Belton, you know, which is about, you know, 45 minutes north of Austin. Um, so I kind of got, you know, the best of both worlds, you know, from private and corporate. You know, I was finally starting to get some momentum, um, you know, starting to get a good solid patient following, was getting stronger in my clinical skills and everything like that. Um, so there's a lot of skills that you pick up just in practice that you don't learn in school. So, you know, I was finally getting my momentum and then COVID hit. Um, and unfortunately, at the end of May, you know, I lost my job. Um, so now I'm kind of at the, you know, I'm kind of back at the drawing board trying to figure out, you know, which way do I want to go? Because like, in my mind, I know I'm ready, you know, to own my own practice. You know, I feel like I, I, I'm confident enough in my my clinical skills. I've learned enough about the business side. And above all, um, I feel like I really grasp the people concept of, of running a practice because that's really more the most important thing. If you don't know how to work with people and manage people and treat people, then it doesn't matter how good your clinical skills are because dentistry is 100% a people game. Facts. Um, so now I'm just kind of at the point where, you know, yeah, I'd like to start my own practice, but does it make financial sense? You know, got to consider, you know, large student loan debt. And then also, you know, every day we're on the brink of a shutdown, you know, things like that you got to consider. And then think about going into private practice. Okay. Yeah. You know, private practices are known for being like a better clinical environment, better quality of care, more time to, you know, develop these relationships with your patients. But the, the thing about, private practice versus corporate practice is a lot of times the private practices that you work with aren't able to offer, you know, like the health insurance, the the retirement plans, uh, malpractice insurance coverage, you know, continuing education coverage, things like that. So 
being a private entity, it's hard to compete with the corporate dogs that are out there because they, they have the money to be like, oh, yeah, you want benefits? Yeah, you got benefits, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of trying to walk that line to figure out what's the best move, you know? So that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I'm, I'm currently, you know, interviewing with uh, quite a few offices around town. So I'm just really just weighing what will be best for me long term. And really, I'm just trying to find a, a, a stable move because I really don't like you know, moving office to office because I want my patients to be able to be stable in one office, you know. Um, people don't like moving around and, and, you know, and seeing new providers and things like that. It's just like, you know, going to see a new barber, like that's that's stressful, you know, for me anyways. But yeah, no, so no. I try to I try to keep my patients in mind whenever I make my next move. That that, that makes complete sense. The cool thing is you're, you're, you're in a good city because Austin, man, it's, I go through there you know, quite often because my wife's folks are from San Antonio and yeah. my, um, my, my Muay Thai coach is in San Antonio. So we try to go over there every, every few weeks or so. And, yeah. and, and Austin is just changing a lot, man, especially down that, uh, that toll road. It's just, oh, yeah. it's, it's building like a whole new city. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Austin is blowing up, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. And te- I don't know where, te- what part Tesla's going to be in, but I'm like, man, I need to go ahead and get me an office in Austin. Cause it's going to be nothing but money there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really blowing up. It, it's changed a lot just in my short 29 years of life. You know, I've seen dramatic changes. You know, low key, Austin is kind of outgrowing itself, you know, because, you know, pre-COVID, like the traffic was just, you know, terrible, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, trying to take, you know, back roads, even those are congested now. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how things pick back up because, you know, I think they even opened up a huge uh, Amazon plant out here in Austin, too. So. Um, so that's going to bring even more people in. Yeah, well, yeah, and because who, who was it? Like Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday and some other Silicon Valley investors and some so, like basically a lot of the money, a lot of the super angels moved to Austin and some other companies, and so now the big company moving there. So I mean, they really they really just rebuilding um, Silicon Valley because Texas, you know, is a also more business friendly state. So I mean, it's. Yeah. And and uh, who uh, oh boy Robert Smith has an office there. He's an alpha, but the, the the black dude, the private equity dude, he uh, he paid off um, Morehouse. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Know, for, Forty billion. Yeah yeah yeah. So his his office is out there. Um, mm-hmm. So no, it's interesting, man. Well, hey, um, I I definitely appreciate you kind of sharing your perspective on that because like like I mentioned before, off air, you know, I had a Dennis who's you know, in practice now, a dentist at the end, and I wanted to get somebody to talk about, you know, the beginning part of dentistry and thinking about opening up a business or different career goals because I have, I work, I work quite a few dentists and they listen to the podcast. And so I just wanted to get different perspectives on dentistry right now. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and you definitely helped give that perspective. So pre- appreciate you uh, oh, yeah, doing that. Sure. Just so everybody can follow you because I, I don't know if I have any folks in Austin, but if there is some folks in Austin and they want to follow you and they're looking for a dentist, because everybody right now is wanting to, at least from the from the community, they want to find black dentists to to. Does uh does is there a Facebook group for black dentists? I know there's one for black doctors, physicians, and dentists in DFW. Oh yeah, yeah, we have we have all kinds of different groups, and I actually you know we have a. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the National Dental Association, um, but it's an organization that's geared towards. Um, you know, minorities in dentistry. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually a president of a local chapter in Austin of that, of that organization called the EH Givens Dental Society. Okay. And uh, there's about like, about like 17 or 18 uh, black dentists in the area. Um, 
And it's crazy because just when we started getting momentum with that group, you know, COVID hit, so we weren't able to really meet and do things, you know, like we wanted to. But um, we had planned to, you know, mentor students at the universities, at the at the dental schools, um, and also just to create a network for each other to be able to, you know, bounce cases off, you know, case ideas off of each other, um, do continuing ed courses together, and just kind of like share our experiences and our struggles because, you know, uh, black dentists only make up about you know, two to three percent of all the dentists in the nation, you know, mm. um, to give you more perspective at my dental school, you, the uh, University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio. I had a class of about roughly 115 students and I was the only black male in the class. And it just seems to be a trend of, you know, every year in every class, there's only like there's like a cap of four black students in every class. And that's something that I've been, you know, working with with the school, you know, um, trying to figure out how we can bring more of us into the profession. Because like you said, people want and feel more comfortable with providers that can relate to them. You know, it's not I'm trying to, you know, word this the most diplomatic. It's not like a. Yeah, I know. I know it's not it's not it's not a racist thing. It's just. It's yeah, just, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just more. Um, you, you, you're comfortable, you know, and. And people love that, you know, like I like being able to talk to patients and relate to them and talk to them and reach them out. Because a lot of times, you know, where health professionals fall short is we get in there with the patient and we just ramble off all this medical dental jargon, you know, and give them a give them a receipt, you know, and then just kind of walk out. But mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about like taking the time to to make sure my patients are understanding me and just kind of reach them. And I like to use a lot of analogies so that way they can understand because dentistry is a very intimate uh, profession, you know, like mm-hmm. it requires a lot of trust to to lay on your back and open your mouth and have somebody using all kinds of sharp instruments and, and high speed drills and stuff like that. Like it takes a, a high level of trust. And so to be able to have more of us into the community to be able to help with with the oral health of our community is a big thing, because a lot of people don't realize is oral health is very intimately associated with overall systemic health. And the same bacteria that cause gum disease and cavities are the same bacteria that can um, add to heart disease, blood pressure, diabetes, things like that, that disproportionately affect us. So I think it's super important for there to be a whole lot more of us out there to be able to reach the communities because a lot of these issues are affecting us directly. And we need to make that, you know, that pipeline as clear as possible from providers to students to patients. Like we need to we need to have that support system, you know. Uh, you, you know Dr. Candace Brown? I, I, to be honest with you, I'm terrible with names, okay. but if I saw her, I probably know she, her. Yeah, and I don't know if the, in, the NMA uh, or in, what is it called, National Dental Society, I don't know if y'all yeah. communicate chapter to chapter, but she's the one who got jump-started at the Dallas National Dental um, Society, whatever. I, I, went to, I went to speak to them at one of their one of their meetings, but she, she's my dentist too. But yeah, and and, and it's funny you brought the topic up. I'll have you share with everybody where they can find you. But you brought up a good topic because I was talking to a friend of mine who's not black and he was asking, you know, why do you have the NAACP or, you know, why do black organizations, you know, separate themselves? And I was was like, I was like, hey, man, it's not like a racist thing. I said, because if you look at who who I do business with, it's a lot of everybody, you know, Um, I said, I said, but. I said, unfortunately, in the in the world that we live in, I was like, take me for example. I'm a financial advisor. I have literally been told to not come back. Like I, 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 I was the senior advisor. I would go into a meeting with a young, you know, newer white guy. We would have the meeting. I would have the it would it'd be his relationship, but I had the knowledge 
right? And then we would leave the meeting, and then the dude would say, "Hey, man, this this guy doesn't want you to come back, right?" And we know we know why he don't want me to come back because I'm black. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I was like, that's just the reality that we live in, you know, because they're, you know, you know, just like we just said, people want to do business people they're comfortable with. And for whatever reason, he wasn't comfortable with me. That's that's his, you know, he can do whatever he want to do. That's fine. But my point is, I, I took it upon myself to say, listen, I'm going to, if I, if I, if I could find somebody who looks like me and I can financially support them, we got to also strengthen our balance sheet so that way we can, you know, it can be as equal a playing field as possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. I want to do business with everybody, but I also right. got to make sure that I spend money with my community where I can, so that it can be stronger. So that it, when we get locked out of certain situations, it's not we're not dependent on them. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, no, I, I completely understand. Because I yeah, so that's so I, you know I I put that out there more for my buddies who who are wondering um, you know about that. So yeah yeah it's not, it's a it's a very common misconception because when people that are non-black see black organizations they see it as something that's just like exclusive mm-hmm. and like they almost make it seem like you know we want to be on our own thing and just kind of like you know dismiss everybody else but that's not the, the case we're just really just trying to share resources with each other you know um because a lot of times we do get boxed out of those situations you know like even when i was in dental school there's a lot of opportunities that were available for the majority of the students, but you don't see, you know, the minority students getting those same opportunities, you know? Um, I don't want to go too deep into it, but you know, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, so um, the value of those organizations is just to, you know, keep everybody close, keep everybody in the loop, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Because at the end of the day, I I treat and do business with everybody. You know what I mean? But I see the need for the, for the support within our community. And that's what I'm passionate about, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't have love for, you know, other communities because I, I love everybody. But, you know, I'm very passionate about my people and I, and I want us to, to do well, you know. And so I'm going to do everything I can. And unfortunately, some people see that as racist, but it's 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 really not, you know. Yeah, so. yeah no, you, you can't you can't you can't control that because that'd be like me getting offended by women's group. I'm like, cool. Like, I understand it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> you know. So how, how can everybody reach if they want to check you out and see see your journey and even uh, you know, you- right now man uh instagram is probably the best platform um so you know people want to follow me it's uh plaque panther um so that's you know that's where i you know interact with most of you know the community um i kind of you know use my social media a little bit differently i use it to not only inform people of my services and everything like that but i use it to to let them see like who i am as a person you know, because a lot of times people are, you know, they have that white coat syndrome. They don't like going to the doctor's office. You know, they, you know, doctors are seen as like robots, you know, that are going to take their money. But <laughs> I want people to see that, you know, I'm a real person. You know, I like to, I like to have fun on the weekends. You know, I like to watch sports. I like to listen to, 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 you know, to different music and stuff like that. Like I want them to see like how I live. So that way people are like, well, no, you need to have a, a separate business page and a separate, um, you know, personal page and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I, I see why that makes sense, but I don't feel like I have anything to hide and I want people to know who I am, you know, before they come see me. So that's, that's, that's what I use my social media for, but, but yeah, I, and I'm very receptive, you know, if people shoot me messages all the time, you know, asking me about different dental questions. Um, I also mentor people that are thinking about getting into dental school. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll have conversations with them, kind of help them with, you know, resumes, letters of recommendation, uh, essays, things like that. Um, so uh, that, that's, you know, especially during this downtime where I'm not actually working, I've really been trying to use my 
my my Instagram to stay connected with the community. Yeah, that's dope, man. I like I like that, man. Plaque. So at Plaque Panther on Instagram. Well, yeah, I, I, and 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 just for the members of Cap Alpha side, there he is. He is a part of the 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 best fraternity uh, in yep. the in the nation. So yep. um, hey, I, I appreciate you coming through, Nuke. Um, stay blessed, and uh, we'll 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 keep communicating on Instagram. This will be out later on today, so I, I, I'll um, I'll message you. And if you can shoot me a a, a picture that you want me to use, um, okay. I'll uh, I'll use it for the little video the little video clips that I do. Sounds good, but yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Have a good one. All right, you too, bro. All right, yep. Let's get into the first question. Philip, how do I invest in some specific companies? I put this question in here because I get it a lot, and I get it, and I just think it's important to just answer it for a bunch of people. And let me give you the context of it. Typically, it's somebody who is coming to me, a wealth manager. And maybe implying that they may want me to help them buy the companies, but I always say, "Hey, listen, if you know what you want to invest in, and which means you're managing your portfolio, then you don't need any advisor for that. Just go to a discount brokerage firm, you know. And I'm not making recommendations. I'll give you like an example of a discount broker firm. It might be Fidelity, Charles Schwab, E Trade, those kinds of companies, where the commissions are super low because you're not needing help." And they could walk you through how to place the trade and buy what you want to buy. But you're not, if you're asking that question, you're not asking for advice on what to buy for your situation. You're saying, this is what I want to buy. And so can you help me buy it? And there are way more inexpensive options for you to do that through a discount broker, not through a you know commission-based salesperson or a wealth manager like myself. So I hope that helps some folks. Next question. Can I help my employees select their investments in their 401k? This is what a lot of business owners um, think, but they should not do because when you offer a 401k plan, unless you want to open yourself up to a litigation and some risks, uh, you should not give investment advice to your employees. You need to or you want to make sure that you have an advisor on your 401k plan that's there to talk to the employees about their goals, their objectives, what investments might be appropriate for, for what they're looking for. A fiduciary is better than a non-fiduciary, which I've covered that on previous episodes. Really, the last episode I covered that. And so make that a part of your plan. A lot of businesses will have, like, they'll sign up for a 401k through their payroll, and they may or may not have an advisor, or they may have an advisor that signed them up, but they, they haven't talked to them or they don't. They're not available for their employees. You know, our, our firm, part of our process is when we have a 401k client, we tell them, hey, when you get a new employee, do a blind copy email. We'll reach out and let them know, hey, we're here. We're available for planning for your retirement, knowing what to do. We we ask them to send out an email every year reminding employees that we're here and we're available to help them with their goals. Is We don't sell products, so we're not trying to push or sell products. We just want to be available to help them get on track for their retirement. We track the total plan uh, investments, and we track total plan returns, and we look at a bunch of different metrics to get a feel for, are the employees saving enough? Are their investments earning enough? And the more we're involved in interacting with the employees, the likely the better long-term result. And so you, you want a company that's doing that for uh, your business to help you so you don't have to be uh, involved in that process and open yourself up to that risk. That's my two cents on that. 
Next question. Is offering a 401k really that important in a group benefit? Yes, it's very, very important. More important than what you think. As a matter of fact, whenever I talk to somebody who's working for an employer that doesn't have a 401k plan, it's almost always considered a temporary spot, right? They're like, oh, you know, I'm here at this company that, you know, I'll find something new, but they don't have a 401k plan right now, and I don't really like that. And so, yes, it's really important. And what it signals, what you don't know, is it signals that you care about their retirement. Because I promise you, just because they're not bothering you about it, when you don't have one, people care. They care a lot about not having a 401k because that's the the primary tool people use to save for retirement. It definitely has the largest amount of retirement assets for uh, em- employees without, without a pension plan. And so, uh, yes, it's important. And the cool part is it's less costly than, than health insurance. And health insurance is important. You know, I understand some business owners that are, you know, worried about offering health insurance because it's a large fixed cost. A 401k plan, setting it up is not as expensive as most business owners think. And it's a really important benefit to employees. And I'm going to side note it for a second because some employers check the box and have a 401k plan. They set up their payroll, but the employees don't like it because, again, they're not getting the support. Or as a matter of fact, I'm a, the next question I'm going to cover what makes a good 401k plan. So I don't want to spoil it too much. But yes, it's a really important benefit. I've yet to meet anybody in 14 years of doing this that didn't have a 401k plan at their, at their job and didn't think negatively of their job and, and their happiness and what they delivered for that part. If I, if I said that correctly, I need to sip some more of this coffee, y'all. Last question. Philip, what makes a great 401k? Yes, yes, I love this question. Because here's what I do every year. So as a 401k retirement plan consultant, annually benchmark 401k providers. And so let me let me break down what's involved in the in the 401k at a, at a real basic level. In, in a 401k you have the actual retirement plan consultant which is Stonehill 401k. We advise on the investments of the 401k plan. You also have the administrator, third-party administrator. And this is a terrible analogy, but it's it's similar to your CPA. They make sure that you're you're compliant and your taxes forms get filed correctly with the 401k. And then you have the record keeper. Think of that as the place where the money is. And so as the consultant, what I'm doing, I'm, look, I'm looking at the, the different components of the 401k plan and all the service providers you can look at. So the fund companies, the administrators, the record keepers, and I'm looking at three things, right? Who who offers, what package offers the, the best investment lineup, right? And I'm ranking that the best digital experience. And digital experience is something that's overlooked these days. But if you think about it, there are a lot of like newer banks that are killing these older banks because the user interface is easy, right? It's simple. It's intuitive. If you if I've logged into lots of 401k plans for super large companies with my client to, to look at their 401k because they didn't know how to navigate it, they didn't know how to use it, which meant, which led to not as good investment results, which led to com- confusion on what they had, led to confusion on how to change their allocations. And so the digital experience to me is probably, you know, a, a good 50% of the importance of a 401k plan, if if not more, especially moving forward because it needs to be intuitive. And there are lots of new tech companies that just so happen to offer 401k plans and or be record keepers 
that, that deliver a really good 401k experience, right? So investment lineup, the digital experience, access to advice, so which which we control in that in that instance. But that's, you know, does your 401k plan have people to go with the tech and the investments that your employees can talk to? And then fees. And, and when I look at fees, I'm not always saying, hey, what is the lowest cost provider? I'm saying, hey, for all the things that they offer, for the digital experience, for the access to advice, for the investment lineup, right? What's the best deal from a fee perspective, right? Because if you if you go for only the lowest cost, then you're going to get what you pay for. But I'm saying if, if the goal of a 401k plan is to deliver the best retirement outcome for the business owner and the employee, let's just make sure you're not overpaying that. And so I'm looking at all those factors and then ranking 401k plan packages, looking at those four factors. But it's really, really important to to make sure you have all those together. And when you get all those together, you have employees that feel good about their retirement. They know if they're on track or off track. They know how to get on track if they're off track. They feel in control of their retirement. They're excited about their investments. And that creates a workers who are going to work harder for your business because there are, there are very few businesses out there that have a robust, good 401k package. Even the large companies, because their digital experience sucks, right? They may have a good investment lineup, but their digital experience sucks. They don't have access to advice, right? And really the only thing they have is the fee, the investment lineup and the fees, right? They might have good investment lineup and good fees, but they're missing the access to advice and digital experience, which is really, really important, right, to, to employees. And so a small company can really compete with the big companies out there if they get those four factors right. And trust me, you know, my specialty, and this is, you know, me doing my best not to put my small business hat on, my, my, my sales business hat on, but I'm just explaining to you in the context of what I do. I work in the small plan market, and that's our specialty. And there are 401k, there's ways to put together a 401k plan where you can compete with the big companies and offer a way better experience than what I see at the Fortune 500 companies that my clients work at today. And so just know that. And it's not exclusive through Stonehill Wealth Management. There, You can do it on your own or there's other advisors who can offer it. But I'm just telling you that um, it's not as difficult as you think. You just have to be working with somebody who's abreast of uh, what's going on in the industry and put together a package that's easy. And here's a side note. Most people think, well, it's just so cumbersome to switch my plan to one of those plans, no, nah, it's not. It's like it's super easy. I, we're in the middle of switching a couple of clients now, and their time involved is limited to a couple of signatures on the form. It's super easy. We we built the team that handles that handles the rest, and we advise what's going on through the process. And so there is no excuse to not create or switch to a really good four hundred one k plan package for you and your uh, employees, and and it's not that expensive to set up if you don't have one, contrary to belief. So that's my two cents on it. For those wondering about our system, because before, for a few episodes, I was saying whether we're in a recession, out of recession, whatever, Stonehill Wealth Management models actually went back to fully aggressive again. So this is an interesting market. The Fed put in a lot of money. This is why having a system is important, because Philip Washington, my opinion, was the economy still is terrible. And from a metric standpoint, when you look at not the stock market, but the actual economy and people, still a lot of uncertainty. People are still, unemployment is still relatively high. Like there's a lot of stuff that have not gotten fixed, but the stock market is saying, hey, it wants to go up. And so you play it to the system. So I follow my system. And so the system says that let's go back to 
non-recession mode. And so follow the system. That's the importance of a system, y'all. That's it. That's all I got for you. Y'all enjoy y'all's week. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.